A lot of you don't know me. My name is Sarah McAvoy, and um, we have been involved with East Cooper since 1990 when our, then our oldest son started at the Citadel. And then for 15 years, our middle son, Matt and Amy McAvoy, and their five children were members here. So we have a long history with East Cooper, and we have been members for about three years. So enough history about me. Um, we're not here about... Rose, how am I going to keep that up? Okay. Thank you. Um, I know that among us, there are probably those who love charts. So on the back of your handout, there is an overview of Joel and the timing and all. We are not going to get into that this morning, but for those of you who might need it, it's there. Um, does everybody have a handout? Okay. Um, I wanted to open this morning first in giving glory and honor and praise to who God is. Jehovah, our protector, our redeemer, the one who sought us when we were lost and running in a different direction. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he is the one with a divine plan for all of history and for us personally. So that is who we worship this morning. That is who we come to give glory and honor and praise to. So I just ask that Let's pray, and I'm going to ask God to move me out of the way and let his word fall upon us in a way this morning that will change us forever. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that you have put your spirit in your life within us and that you have changed us completely from the wretch that I was to a new creation in you. So, Father, we thank you that this word that we are going to study this morning is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So pierce now through your words to the very bone and marrow of who we are and expose the intent of our hearts and bring repentance where it is needed in each of our lives. For your glory and the power of the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wanted to start with a quote from Jim Elliott. And I'm sure everyone knows who Jim Elliott is. Um, he went to Ecuador and was killed by a tribe that he was ministering to. And then his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, returned and led the man that killed her husband to the Lord. And the whole village, the whole tribe, was um, respond, they responded to the gospel. And he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so that's what we're about this morning. We're about talking about what we can gain in Christ that we cannot lose. So, on to Joel. Um, and you have your um, handout here. Oops, here we go again. You have your handout. And I was listening to a sermon this week by David Platt. And he is the head of the Southern Baptist Mission Board, if you don't know who he is, of very young, anointed man of God. And he asked this question, will we die in religion or will we die in dedication? So that's how I'd like to open Joel. How are we are going to die? Death is 100% guaranteed. So are we going to die in religion? Or are we going to die in dedication to God, to his word, to um, evangelism, to all the things that he calls us to? So as we look at Joel, Joel is a book 
that every commentator labeled radical repentance. Joel lived, very little is known about Joel historically, but they believe that he wrote the book around 835 B.C. Now, to make that relevant to us, that was 2,851 years ago. And it's as relevant today as it was the day that Joel penned it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joel means Jehovah is his God, and he lived at a time when this was written to Judah, which was the southern kingdom. The split had occurred around 920, where Judah went to the south and Israel went to the north. Um, and there is no king mentioned in Joel, but it is believed that he was under the reign of King Joash, who became a king at age seven. And as long as Joash had his priest, and I'm probably not pronounced this correctly, but I think it was Jehoiada, he seemed to follow the Lord. But when the priest died, he turned to the way that so many of the, the kings and so many of the um, leaders of Israel had done, and that was he turned away from the Lord. Two things we do know about the book of Joel. There was a severe drought and a severe locust attack. And as you read the scripture about the locusts, there are actually four locusts, and in the Hebrew, they are four different words to describe these locusts. So they must have had um, a function as they came through the land. And in Egypt, it was not uncommon for locusts to come through and destroy all of the crops. But those two things we know. We know that a drought biblically stands for destruction and devastation. So this was a group of people not just dealing with the drought physically around them, but they were dealing with the drought within their own lives and their hearts. And what do we know about locusts? I mean, I'm sorry. The locusts were devastation. And the people were living in the midst of devastation. They had gone to other things and God was not their focus. So a drought is the land, they talked about clods and they talked about the land being so dry that the cattle couldn't eat and that they couldn't even make offerings because there was no wine and there was no wheat for the bread. So... Those are the two things that we really know about the book of Joel. The theme of Joel is about the day of the Lord and the promise that God is going to be a just God and that he will deal with not just his people, but the entire earth. And if you see in your notes, I've kind of given you an outline the invasion was in uh, Joel 1, Joel 13 through 19 is his call to repentance. And it appears that that was Joel's specific purpose given by God was to call the people to repentance. The invasion as it is described is a military invasion led by God. And it talks about how precise the locusts are, that they march in a line. They are not distracted. They go over things. It is an unbroken line of destruction that is coming. And what came to my mind is we've all seen the Chinese mar army march, and they are in perfect precision, and they do not look to the right or the left. Their focus is direct, and their job is understood. And that, to me, is how Joel describes this invasion. It's terrifying. And then in Joel 2, he 
pleads with the people to return to the Lord. He asks them to rend their hearts, not their clothes, because through Scripture, when tragedy came, a king or a prophet would rend their clothes as a sign of just utter despair. But here God is telling them through Joel to not rend their clothes, but to rend their hearts, to return back to him. And then in 2, 18 through 27, he has pity on his people and talks about the deliverance that will come. And in Joel 2, 28 through 32, he talks about the pouring out of his spirit. And this is what Peter used when he preached on the day of Pentecost. And we will look at that a little later. And then he judges the nations in Joel 3, 1 through 16. And he talks about the glorious future in 17 through 21. How many of you were able to read this week? Okay. Oh, wow. Everybody. Great. That's wonderful. Um, as we look at repentance and as we begin to get into the lesson that Joel has for us 2,851 years later, um, there, there are two words for repentance. The New Testament is a very familiar metanoia, and it means to repent, to think differently, to go in a different direction. The Hebrew word is nakam, and it is to sigh or to breathe or to be sorry, to pity or to console, but it doesn't carry the idea of a change in direction because we know that all repentance was waiting on the, the consummation of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that when they made sacrifices in the temple on um, Yom Kippur, that they were just moving forward when the priest went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, that that was just a forgiveness for that year for the sins, and it was a rolling forward, and they sent the scapegoat out into the desert to bear the sins of the people. So there was not a complete forgiveness until our Lord and Savior came and paid that price. So I, I have some fill-ins here that we're going to need to move through quickly. But the real lesson that comes from Joel is that disobeying God's commands always leads to disaster. And it leads to disaster in small ways and large ways. In Deuteronomy 28, when Moses is giving an outline of blessings and curses, both drought and locust are listed as a curse. So we can assume from that that God was dealing with them in what he sent to their land at this time. And he said he was going to judge their great evilness in Joel 3.13. God's intervention in the affairs of human history and the need for radical repentance is because the day of the Lord is coming. Joel is a wake-up call to a hard-hearted and stubborn people. Hmm. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Hard-hearted and stubborn. Do you know anybody like that? So what we want to know is what keeps us, if we're told that we should live in radical repentance, then what is it that keeps us from living in radical repentance? And I read um, something in one of the commentaries that really... Um, I couldn't get out of my mind. It, it really stuck with me. And it says that all of my and your idols worship at the feet of Satan. Think about that for a minute. 
And why would that be true? Why would my lust or my envy or my anger or my unforgiveness, why would that worship at the feet of Satan? It's because it distracts me from the Lord. And there's a list here. And I think sometimes when we talk about idols, all we can think about is the idolatry of Israel. And we don't bring it present day. So instead of idols, let's use the word battles. What do you battle with? Worry? Having perfect children? Having the right home? Living in the right neighborhood? Looking right so that you think you'll be accepted? Having addiction? They say that the percentage of addiction to prescription drugs has grown exponentially in the last 10 years. That, um, so there are all kind of battles that we face. We also face the battles of childhood issues of rejection, of wanting approval. So I don't know. I don't know what your battle is. Um, I find the battle of busyness, the tyranny of the urgent, taking me from that which is most important. And I get to the end of the day, and I've had a quiet time, but so much of the day has been consumed with things that aren't eternal and things that really a week from now won't matter. So this is for your study if you choose to do so. But radical repentance worships at the feet of Jesus. And we repent for a right relationship with God to bring him glory. It's not about us. It's about him. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So that, that is, that one verse, if that's all you had, would be enough to live the Christian life. Because it gives us the proper priority of how our lives should fall. So let's talk for a minute. Um, Zacchaeus was in the uh, chapter this week. And then we also had the rich young ruler. And I thought about the prodigal in Judas. Those who sought radical repentance and those who did not. So what are you saved from? I think it's important that we know if we want to be saved, what are we saved from? And we are saved from the deserved wrath of God. We deserve wrath. But grace gives us unmerited favor. And are you saved? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Have you gone to God and said, I can't do this alone. I realize that I am a terrible sinner, as John Newton said. And you are a magnificent Savior. So we need to decide if we're saved. And I've given you some scripture there, but only you, alone with God, can answer that question. Have you been born again, as God tells us 
as we looked at Zacchaeus. And what saves you from the coming wrath is God's loving kindness and unmerited favor. And as Christians who have lived in America, maybe some of you have served abroad, we have no idea of what the coming wrath looks like. If you look at scripture, there are going to be some hard days. And we need to know the word of God. We need to have it hidden in our hearts. Not only that we might not sin against him, but that it would be the sword of the spirit which we can fight with and fight for Jesus. So we've lived in a society that um, we have really, the poorest among us have very little want or need. And we need to be ready for a day when that's going to change. And um, if you look at the full of scripture, particularly in Revelation, in Daniel, in Ezekiel, and Isaiah, there is a coming wrath. And to some degree that should excite us. Because it really will separate the wheat and the tares. And it really will give us an opportunity to stand firm for the God that we love and believe in. And some of us in this room may even die and be martyrs for the name of Christ. So a good question to ask yourself is, if someone came through that door with a gun, would you say, yes, I'm a Christian? And I love something I heard recently. You can kill me, but you will only change my address. And I like that a lot. So in Joel, he talks about a future promise. And most of the commentaries believe that that was Pentecost on the day when Peter preached and 3,000 were saved and the church was birthed. And the Spirit was given because Jesus had completed the assignment that God gave him in obedience. He promised that the Spirit would come when he had done his completed work, which was to go to Calvary, to be resurrected, to spend some time with the disciples, and then to ascend to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he is praying for you today, and he is praying for me, because that's one of the functions that he now has as he sits beside the Father. Um, I think it is interesting to know that Joel was written approximately 900 years before Pentecost. When people tell me that this book is not inspired by an awesome creator God, it just blows my mind that people cannot see the power of God. And I believe it takes more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. I think it takes more faith to not believe in this than it does to say there's no God. So this is our story. This is our love letter. This, these are our instructions on how to live the Christian life. Um, by fulfilling the promise as a result of obedience to the Father's will in being crucified and dying for us, the Spirit could then be made available to you and to me. And that's John 16, 7. The giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is God's promise that he is in control of everything. Time, space, and all the events of history. I cannot imagine what an awesome Abba Father who has such a master plan. And it is right on schedule for this moment in history.
And I would say to you as women of God, you have been born for such a time as this. God has given you a platform to be his spokesperson. He has given you an individual plan that he wants you to fulfill. And in fulfilling that, you will know the joy that is unspeakable. And an interesting thing that I learned, Pentecost occurred during a Jewish holiday. It is the week of feast. And it's there are four holidays and festivals that go with the wheat harvest. And this particular festival, the festival of first fruits was seven weeks after the feast of weeks, which probably nobody wants to know, but I found that interesting. How often God speaks to his people in dramatic ways through events within his church, Israel, and the laws that Moses gave. Just very interesting. We serve a sovereign God who has a perfect plan for this world and for each one of us. Don't ever lose sight of that. Your life matters. It matters to God. And he is excited about the plan that he has for your life. Um, many commentators believe that there is more of this promise in Joel. In, um, in fact, let's, let's read it right quick. It's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. This is Joel um, 2.28. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions and even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be darkened, will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. We've had a lot of interesting things. Um, we've had four blood moons this year. We've had um, volcanoes erupt where there's been fire. We've had earthquakes just in Alaska this week. So we have had many things in the cosmos that God has promised will take place that are taking place. Um, so it's exciting to see. It's horrible to live through the floods and the earthquakes and the fires. But out of those things... God is often lifted up and great stories are told about the faithfulness and goodness of God. The fundamental purpose of the entire Bible is restoring, is God restoring his people to himself and the promise of his presence in us when we become his children. So it's promised there. And one of the things that every week we want to see is Jesus in the book of the minor prophet that we study. So we see Jesus in this, in radical repentance. Why? And that's the day of the Lord, God's judgment is coming and it's coming whether you are saved or not. Whether your loved ones are saved or not. So there is an urgency from 2,851 years ago. There is an urgency for radical repentance. Doesn't that just blow you away? 
that so long ago what we needed today was penned by a prophet? Radical means the extreme, something that is absolutely outside of what you normally experience. And in this case, it is a complete change in the way you think. And so is repentance. It is completely going in the opposite direction. And once we have repented, and once we have been given the spirit to live within us, then the mandate that we have is to study and show ourselves approved. A good workman. Who will God save? God will save those who put their trust in him and no other. No other. And we hear in our society all the time that that's intolerant. But it's not. The truth of God is never intolerant. It's just that the ears that are hearing it and saying that are blind. And those are the people that we need to pray for and to show God's love to. I think we've kind of covered this, but how is radical repentance defined? We confess our sins. We're born again by the Spirit. We repent. And confession of sin and repentance are often two different things. I, we have three sons, and there were many times they were sorry they got caught. But they weren't repentant. And then there were times when we saw the full repentance come. So just to confess a sin doesn't mean that our heart has repented of that sin. So um, the fill in there is that we are no longer slaves to sin. God has given us the opportunity to walk in righteousness because of the blood of Jesus. Now, do we do this? No, not for me. It's a daily battle. And for me, I fail every day. But as I repent and confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me. So repentance is a lifelong thing. It's not a one-time thing. I just don't do a blanket repentance, even if I call my sin by name. But it's a daily, living, active part of our lives. So who repented? I mean, this list could be exhausted, but Saul, David, Zacchaeus, the disciples, all the Christians named in the Bible. Who did not repent? Pharaoh, most of the kings of Judah. And Israel, Judas, the rich young ruler, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and probably the crowd that cried crucify him. So Joel in Joel 2 is calling for a return to the Lord. And while in Joel, it's important to notice that their idolatry is not named. We know that they had turned away from the Lord. And when you turn away from the Lord, you are always doing that because something else seems more important, more enjoyable, more satisfying, or more fulfilling. So without repentance, judgment will be harsh, thorough, and certain. And our trust should not be in our possessions, but in the Lord our God. And God uses many, many things, nature, sorrow, common occurrences, to draw us closer to him. 
I was told with the flood that we had in October, a lady's home was, had been flooded two weeks before. And they were in the cleanup process when the thousand-year flood came. But between the flood that she had and the flood that destroyed her entire home, her husband died. So she had a flood, lost her husband, and then had the flood that took everything that she owned and destroyed it. And her attitude is, God has something to teach me. God, make me willing to hear what it is that you want me to learn. What an awesome testimony and witness to the power of God. So without repentance, judgment will... I did that. Um, God uses... That word there under the nature, the sorrow, and other common occurrences should be to draw us to him. For some people, it doesn't. It causes anger and hatred toward God. I have a brother who lost a son at 16. And he has spent the last 45 years hating God. But in his mercy and grace, God has provided the definitive plan for our salvation, Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified for our sins and exchanged my sin for his perfect righteousness. We t that word just rolls off so easy, exchanged. I needed something, and God, as Jesus was scourged so that his flesh was torn, the bones on his back were showing, he had been spat on, he had a crown of thorns pressed into his skull that was probably so sharp it penetrated his scalp. He had to carry a cross on that freshly beaten back. And then he had to endure nails being put in his hands and his feet. So exchange is such a refined, soft, sweet word. But the exchange that took place on the day the Son of God was crucified and exchanged my sin and paid the penalty should be a word that we respect and understand at its depth. It is not a sweet, soft word. It cost the Son of God his life so that I could be free. There is no time to lose. If we look at the world in which we're living, between the geopolitical issues, between the economy, between all the acts of nature that God is sending our way, we need to take seriously that time is short to minister in love to those who are not saved because he, he will come as the thief in the night um, today is the day of salvation and we're told in 2 Corinthians to seek the Lord while he may be found call on him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. The long-suffering of God is so... I can't get my mind around it. I think if any of us in this room had been God, we probably would have zapped humanity. 
many, many times throughout different phases of history. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. For grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. If you think you had a part in your salvation, you're wrong. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, in my case, I was running as far away with my back to God as I could. And he grabbed the back of my neck. Have you ever had a child that was about to get in trouble, run out into a street, and you reach and you just grab them? About to fall down. One of my, my, two, one of my boys, when he was two, started to fall down the stairs, and I grabbed him, and I dislocated his shoulder. But... <laughs> That's what God does to us. And it doesn't matter how nice you were or how beautiful you were or how lovely you were. Your heart was hard and stubborn and running away from God. And God in his mercy would not let you go. So we need to understand that just as this says... In Ephesians, for grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. This is the gift that God has given us, the greatest gift of all. And it didn't come wrapped in a pretty package. It came to us in a stable, laying on hay with animals around so what gave us, what God gave us is exactly what we needed. And it wasn't a king that came in riches. It wasn't a king that lived in a palatial place. It was a humble servant. And that's what he's calling us to be. Humble servants. So... Joel is really a message of hope to a people who were hard-hearted and stubborn. And I think the thing, as, as we go back, if we go back and look at that list of potential battles in our lives, we're not alone. If we're a believer, God has given a promise to never, ever leave us. And we have God in heaven, Jesus at his right hand making intercession, the Holy Spirit praying in Romans 8. We'll go there in just a second. And in Hebrews 1, it tells us that there are angels sent as ministering spirits. To those who belong to God. So they've got it covered for us. They have our rear guard, our side guard, and our front guard. So quickly, let's, let's look at some of those scriptures. Um, let's go to the Hebrews one, because that, that is always such a, a comfort to me. Hebrews, let me see. Oh, I'm short on time. Okay, Hebrews 1 says, uh, in, in verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So you've got angels. Now let's go to Romans 
Well, I'm going to back up to 38. Uh, maybe 37. Uh, maybe 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, changing our address, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's left out? Huh? Um, I think it covers everything. How, how do you see self being left out? I just don't see it listed there. Oh. No, it's not listed, but... Um, if I'm being put to death and slaughtered, I've probably made a decision that I'm going to follow the Lord. And we are seeing so much of that go on in the Middle East. The beheadings and the killings of Christians. I just read about a town where they found about 70 bodies buried. And they were near a church. And within the, the shallow grave, they found crosses and Bibles and things that Christians would have. So this is not distant. This is not back in Rome or in Ephesus. This is now. This is what we're going through. And this is the promise that God, <laughs> that God will never, ever leave us. That there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from his love. Also says he's written our name in the palm of his hand. Not that he needs to be reminded of who we are. But it's an act of love that he has put us within his care and keeping. All right, so um, Romans 12, 1, I'll just go over. It's very familiar. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be conformed to God and to prove what is right and good and perfect. And I do want you to turn to Proverbs 4, 23, because I think this is, um, whoops, here we go again. I think I'll just leave it down. Um, I think this, this is something that we, we need to really put this scripture within our hearts. It says to watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Because that's what determines the quality of our life. So, the question is, have you chosen to live by radical re <laughs> repentance? Joel gives us a glimpse into the past and what the people were going through with the locusts and the famine. But he also gives us a picture of today and the future. That repentance is always now. 
and judgment is promised and it is coming. So um, I hope you'll spend some time looking at the list of things that can distract us from the Lord and repent over those. And then um, the last thing is a handout, and I thought this was worthwhile mentioning, and then I will be done. I will quit. Um, and this is for you to take home and study, but we often know the things that we need to repent of, but I thought if you're back at the Little Foxes, and this is from a woman named Syl Sylvia Gunter. I've known her probably 30 years, and she writes beautiful um, prayers on different things to pray about and for. But have you ever thought about your anger as dishonoring God's love? Have you ever thought your pride as dishonoring his grace? So take this home and study it and see the things that we do that dishonor the character of God because that's what we need to be about. Choose repentance every day for that's what God has for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you have given us, for the plan that we can live, for the ways that you want us to serve you and the platform that we have. So take what was spoken this morning and I pray that for something that will touch their hearts and change them to serve you, to repent, and to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.